Well, it's not often that an assistant pastor gets to preach two weeks in a row while the pastor is still here. And so we are, I'm very thankful for the opportunity. But then when I actually started to look at the passage of scripture that we're in today, I thought, well, of course he's not preaching. He doesn't want to preach this message. The title of our message today is Purged, as we say goodbye to David and Ashley Kemp. Seriously? Yes, that wasn't planned. Okay. Sure. Okay. So I, we jest, but in reality, um, we are talking about a very serious topic today about what God needs to do in the church to help it go forward in victory. And sometimes it takes those who are not really going to follow the program to leave. Now, that is not the case with David and Ashley Kemp. Okay. <laughs> I want to clearly state that they have been tremendous servants of God used by our church in a major way. And I want you to know that every single thing you see usually or hear on Sunday morning, somehow, some way, David has touched it. Somehow. And because of that, we are very thankful for what he did, what he's done. And I joked with him as we had some meetings this week that we're going to have to actually have two people, you know, cover for him when he leaves. And he said, that's the way it was with my last job. They had to actually hire two people to fill my position. I'm like, well, this is a trend. And I gave David a challenge today. I said, David, you're going to probably be somewhere really involved in another ministry within three months. I challenge you to take a break for three months. I don't think he can do it. We'll see. But we're going to miss them, and no doubt this was not planned that we would preach this message on the days when they're going to be leaving, but we're thankful for them, and um, thank you for all your service you've done, David, and uh, now you can probably mute me if you're being embarrassed, because he has that power. (laughs) To many, Acts chapter 5 is a shock. You have the church operating and really thundering forth on all cylinders. I mean, 2,000 saved, 3,000 saved, 5,000 saved. And it's just, wow, this is amazing. This book of Acts is exciting. And you get to chapter 5 and you're like, what? Does God really have to put this story in the Bible? I mean, couldn't we have kept it on the positive end? And couldn't we have just, you know, just talked about the accolades? Could we have just fast forwarded to to started chapter five with verse 12, you know, and all the major works they're going to do. Uh, Can we just start chapter five like that? And God says, no, not at all. Because there are some things you need to know. There are some times we think that when we're in the center of God's will and we're doing what God's called us to do, there's never anything that has to be dealt with in a negative way. But I'm sorry to tell you, but that's not the case because we all have a sin nature. And because there are people that come through into our church and out of our church that really need to have God work in their heart. And those who do not want God to work in their heart because of the pride that is in their heart, usually, just in our culture, just leave eventually because they don't want to feel conviction. And because there are so many churches that are around our country and around our area that can facilitate their need to walk into a church every single Sunday and hear just positive, just positive, just positive, just positive. And you'll find those churches all over the place. But in order to do that, you have to skip Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Because it doesn't seem so positive 
Oh, and many other passages within the Word of God you'll have to gloss over because God shows us David and all his faults. God shows us Moses and his faults. God shows us Elijah and his depression. God shows us glimpses into great men of God that, yes, are in the hall of faith, but they were not perfect, and they had struggles that they had to deal with, which is what a great, uh, what a great God we have, what a wise God, to give us the negative side of things, to show us nobody's perfect except Jesus Christ. And when you find something in your life that needs to go, get rid of it. And when there's something in God's church that needs to go, God needs to help it find its way out. Many look at this passing as a shocking passage, and from quick glance, it really looks like this couple is unfairly judged because they told a lie. I mean, how serious is a lie? Well, it's pretty serious. It's deceit. It's not right. And this is not a white lie. This is not a black lie. There's no such thing as white or black lies. A lie is a lie. It's a distortion of the truth, no matter what the purpose is. And we could just delve into this passage and look at, well, they lied and God had to strike them dead. And that's just the way it was. But that sounds kind of like unjust, doesn't it? I mean, we're all liars and God doesn't strike us dead. Is there something deeper here? And I think there is. I think much deeper than just the lie, it really shows how God despises pride. How it, many wonder, even looking at this passage, if this couple was authentic, were authentic believers. I believe they were because they were a part of the church. I just believe they were that type of believer that was so self-absorbed that they had a conceited plan to attempt to bring notoriety upon themselves and to flaunt some sort of spiritual prestige without doing the sacrificial work to be pleasing to God. They almost got caught up in the Roman patronage system where in this Roman culture, you could walk in and as a wealthy person, you could find a plebe or a plebeius and, and go to them and, and provide some sort of, of, of system where they get food and clothing and all that, that citizen that doesn't have money needs to do is give you d- d- devotion and commitment. And if you give them money, they have to give you commitment and fight for you and take up your causes for you. And that's kind of the way they're thinking of this, not the way that God is trying to build the church on give and don't have any strings attached. Devote and don't expect anything in return. And this is a contrast Chapter 5, verse 1 is a contrast to really Acts chapter 4, verse 36. So we start our message this morning in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. So take your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, verse 36, and we read this in the Word of God. And Joseph, by the, uh, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it. And brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Look, look at chapter 5, verse 1. First word. Everybody say it together with me. Ready? Go. But. Do you see the contrast there? 
But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And in Ananias, verse 5, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Verse 6, and the young men arose, wound them up, and carried them out, and buried them. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife not knowing what was done, came in. And so, guys, you think your wife is late? She was three hours late. That makes our wives look really good. Some of the wives are saying, yeah, my husband's the one that's always late. He spends more time in front of the mirror than I do. I understand. Yeah, I get you. Three hours later in chapter, uh, verse 8, and Peter answered, her unto her, tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young man came in and, and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. But I don't want to stop there. Let's go one more verse. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. We'll continue with this passage next week in the message. But I do want to look at Acts chapter 4, verse 36 through Acts chapter 5, verse 12 in our message today entitled Purged. Our very first point that we want to look at today is out of the life of Barnabas. And yes, this Barnabas is going to be very used in the travels of Paul. Uh, you look at him being from Cyprus, him being a Levite. And I mean, the question arises, if you know your Bible, what in the world is a Levite even doing owning property? Because didn't God say they couldn't own property because he was their possession? And why does a Levite own property? Well, it just shows how far they had drifted from the law of Moses in their culture. And this Levite from Cyprus has land that he sells. And he is not forced to sell this land. It is not something that is announced from, so to speak, the leaders of the church. Go sell your property and give the money to the church. That doesn't seem like is what happened. It seems like what happened was Joe, uh, this, this man Barnabas, knowing that there were people around him that were hurting and suffering because they had lost their job and they had lost some of their family members and they had been disowned by society as a whole, needed a lot of help. And he said, I want to help be my father, fellow, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ because I love Jesus and I love them. And because I love Jesus and I love them and I don't really need my property more than I need to show my love for them, I'm going to sell my property and give the money so those who are in need can actually have finances to be able to go forward. That was his motivation. He loved Jesus. He loved God's people. And so he sold his land. 
And let me bring this first point in. Love and humility are required for a church to be spiritually healthy. Love and humility are required. They're not optional, folks. They're required for a church to be, so to speak, spiritually healthy. Barnabas, point number one, gives his possession out of a pure love, not calling attention to himself, but for the simple blessing of giving. And he truly believed, as uh, was said in the writings of Paul, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I just love this person, Barnabas. And as you follow his story throughout the uh, New Testament, you realize that he really wanted to come alongside people that needed help and be a help and a comfort and a, a, a just a fellow servant alongside God's people. And this was step one. Get rid of what I have to give out of love to God's people. But at no time did Barnabas seek, uh, seek prestige, seek honor. He didn't say, okay, you see what I've done? And this is important because we have a culture in our, you can say, church culture where people are almost encouraged to flaunt what they do for Christ. We actually, maybe you've been to a service like this. I have, where they have people amening for every $10 that somebody gives. And it's like, are you kidding me? Are we really supposed to give that way? Are we supposed to give in a way where it brings glory and honor to us? And the Bible says, absolutely not. We're to love and serve out of love and with humility. And that's why as we look at Barnabas quickly, as we set up chapter five in this great contrast, we need to see point number two, uh, letter B, so to speak, our motivation for serving God should be love. That's the major motivation we should have for anything we do at church or for God's name. We should do it because we love God and because we love others. What we do at our church with our community outreaches is to show love for God because we love God and because we love people. If you're doing something for God for any other reason than you love God and you love people, you're probably not doing it for the right reason. Simple as that. Our motivation for serving God should be love, but our method should be clothed. Say closed, but it should be clothed in humility. Clothed in humility. In other words, it's shrouded in this idea that I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for God. And I don't care if I get the credit. God gets the glory. And I don't care if people pat my back. I don't care if people say good job. I don't care if people bring me the accolades. It's not about me. It's about Him. But it takes somebody that wants to despise pride and live a life of humility to do that. And that's not natural. Our natural man wants to always get the credit. Our whole way that we have our salary structure is we look at our salary as the credit I get for doing the work I did. And some of that's not enough for people, so they need bonuses to 
show more how much they're appreciated and, and, and really valued in their workplace because that's the structure we have in our system. And none of us would probably work a job unless we got paid. So we kind of equate that to the way everything should be done. If I do something, I should get some payment for it. If it's not monetary, it should be something. If it's just a, you know, uh, some kind of, you know, plaque on a wall or some kind of, you know, oh man, it's, 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 there's just too many things people do to show glory to people. It's, it's amazing. I've seen plaques on walls. I've seen, I've seen, I've been to a church where there was actually plaques on the corner of the, you know, of the stage showing who gave to actually put the stage together. I mean, you can go to a point where you put a plaque on everything in church, every door, every classroom, every, you know, it's just named for somebody who did something great to allow this to happen. And I, I don't want to judge people unfairly, but if that, the reason they're doing it is so that people feel like they're loved and appreciated, I wonder why we have to feel loved and appreciated by having our name placed somewhere. Is it not just enough love to have a place for God's people to worship and to serve and to have things look nice because you just did it for God, not for you? I mean, go back to the congregational days in the old times of the, our country, and you walked into most churches and every family had their box named for them because they gave X amount of dollars so that they had that seat in church. And the more wealthy they were, the closer it was. If you think about it that way, then, you know, Yaman and Melissa, you guys are wealthy because you got the best seats in the house today. (laughs) Wow. Good for you. It was a status symbol. It was for prestige. It was, wow, look at who's sitting in the front box of the church. We know who they are because they're the most wealthy family in the community, and they paid a lot for that box. Oh, perish the thought in God's church. We're not here to worship us. Barnabas didn't give to worship himself or get worship for himself. I'm almost thinking Barnabas is one of those characters in God's word that might be like, God, I really wish you didn't put that in there. Could we have skipped that? I I didn't do it to get into Acts chapter 4, verses 36 through, you know, I didn't do that for that. I just did it because I love God. I love you. I love God's people, and I didn't need any recognition for that. But the people in the church obviously knew it. A pivotal word in our thought today is that first word of chapter five, when God gives a contrast. God literally says, Barnabas did it this way, but Ananias and Sapphira did it another way. What other way did they do it? Well, look at point number two. Their way was shrouded in deceit and self-glory. They wanted notoriety. They wanted people to see what they were doing. And because of that, they wanted to be elevated to a spot in the church that they had not earned by their spiritual growth. And that's difficult. And so we see that deceit and self-glory within a church impedes the victorious progress of God's people because we're going to have to take a pause here on all the things that God is doing through the church at Jerusalem because we got a problem that needs to be dealt with. 
And it seems like this highlight where people are so in love with Jesus and in love with the people of God that they're selling their possessions to actually help things go forward. And then we have this black stain on that whole process. And how did it start? It started when somebody, letter A, desired spiritual prestige, which often leads to something called a spiritual pretense. When our motivation, like Ananias and Sapphira, is to get the accolades of men, we have to actually perform to a level where we receive those accolades, right? And a lot of times, it's not authentic. A lot of times, we're trying to be somebody else or something that we're not so that we can be honored like that other person and perish the thought, if you're trying to be like Russ or trying to be like me or trying to be like Ethan or trying to be like Justin, please don't. We're human beings. We make mistakes. We struggle with things just like you struggle with things. Please don't try to find some type of platform presence by just being something you're not. Please don't do that. No, instead, allow yourself to fall in love with Jesus and allow yourself to grow by conforming to his image. That's the way that you can grow spiritually healthy. And if God decides to honor you and lift you up, that's God's business, not yours. But when we go into the process with this desire for spiritual prestige, we have to put on this fake pretense that gives us the ability to do so. It's a form of pride. Deception is always, I believe, rooted in pride. One of the greatest things about pride and things that it does, not greatest, but one of the horrible things about pride that it does is it deceives people into thinking that they're better than they are. And it makes people want other people to see them better than they are. So in order to do that, they lie to themselves and they lie to others to be able to make it happen. How sad, but how predictable. Take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 and we'll see this happening in Jesus' day. And who did this all the time? The Pharisees. Jesus got all over the Pharisees because they thought they had the corner of the market on worshiping God. They thought they had it all together, and they had a whole system that they had. And the whole reason for their system was to keep the, the, in Judea from being backslidden to a point where God puts us into captivity again. So if we have all these rules upon rules upon rules upon rules upon rules that take us from the brink of God's judgment, then we'll be okay. But all those rules that they put between the brink and where they were were all man-made and all traditions, and they had a lot of stuff in there that was purely based on pride. And Jesus, God's only begotten son, comes to earth and Jesus looks at what the Pharisees are doing and he instructs his disciples in Matthew chapter six, take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Verse 3, but when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Make it so secret that one side of your body doesn't even know what's happening. 
Now, that's so contradictory to what a lot of people do when they want to give a big gift. I really, I really appreciate the anonymous donor, the truly anonymous donor, who doesn't want anybody to know what's going on. It's between them and God, and if nobody finds out what happened, that's perfect. I actually had a man that I worked with years ago that had a problem giving to our church, not because he had a problem giving money. He had a problem because God had blessed him with so much money that he didn't want people to know it was him giving. And he had to work out a system with the trustees to actually be able to give without anybody knowing But that's the type of thing that God says, that's the way you should give. Don't let anybody know about it. I know husbands and wife, we need to talk about it because that's a healthy thing to do. But other than that, you don't need to tell anybody else. Continuing verse uh, 5, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. But thou, verse 6, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and, the fa- and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Jesus condemned the antics of the Pharisees that brought glory and honor upon themselves. They would blow trumpets so people could pay attention to what's being done at the coffers. They would stand up and pray these big prayers in a very loud way. And we see other passages where Jesus highlights where he says, be like that widow that is just barely saying anything and all it and bowed and, and, and worshiped to the Lord. Not like the guy who stands up and tries to get everybody's attention. Because God wanted to make sure that we realize that desire for spiritual prestige often leads to fakeness. Point number, uh, letter B. When we flaunt a spiritual beauty that we do not possess, we deceive others and ourselves and miss out on the authentic blessings that God desires to give. Can you deceive people with your spiritual pretense? The answer is absolutely yes. We're gullible, folks. Okay. Many human beings, we want to think the best of people when we meet them, so we're just flat out gullible. We'll buy the line that, oh, yeah, you must be somebody that should have prestige because of how you are. And so many people will buy that. God doesn't. God says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God, God says, don't think in your minds that I am mocked when you try to put up a pretense that's, that's, that's fake, that's false. God sees right through that. And God doesn't just see through it, he despises it. He despises it because it's a form of pride that tries, well, it's a form of pride that begins with you trying to show people how you're devoted to God when in reality, you're just worshiping yourself. 
and you're connecting the worship with God with worship of yourself, and that does not fly with God. That is not the way God wants things to happen in his church. We don't worship ourselves, and if you want to worship yourself, please realize that you need to grow before you can truly worship God. You need to fix your focus of your worship. And this is what happens in Acts chapter 5. Quickly, Ananias and Sapphira, they come in, and they are both of them trying to flaunt what they have done. And they are excited because, you know, they actually can go to the church, and they can give, and people will see it, and people will think, wow, they're just as spiritual as Barnabas. Wow, they are just as legit as this other spiritual leader. Wow, and that's what they desired. That's what they wanted. And can you imagine when Peter, with the Holy Spirit's, uh, with the Holy Spirit's direction, looks at Ananias and says, uh, yeah, you, uh, you didn't give everything. What? Stun? You figured it out? No, Peter didn't. The Holy Spirit knew. Let Peter know upon it. That brings us to our third point. Spiritual leaders should seek God's help in purging self-glory and deceit from the church so that the church can go forward. Listen, perish the thought that we as just mere men would go throughout the church and say, you, 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 you need to go. (laughs) There are churches that do that, though. Be a church that has leaders that say, Holy Spirit, I don't know who needs to go you know, and so you help work this process out and you make those who need to go, go, but we need to just keep on loving and serving and ministering to people. Peter is under control of the Holy Spirit and following the Holy Spirit's dictates when he announces the fate of this couple to both of them. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. By the way, I love how the Holy Spirit helps Peter to realize to say these words, You had the power to keep all of the profit of the land if you wanted. We are not requiring you to sell your land. We are not requiring you to give all of the proceeds of that land. That was never stipulated. You just give what you want. The problem is you said you're giving everything for for your own self-glory and conceit, and you gave part of it. The problem was not you gave part of it. The problem is you wanted the glory and deceit And so you created a pretense to make that happen. And that's the fateful offense. Yes, there is lying involved because pride and self-glory often just is clothed within lies because in order to think of yourself as better, you've got to lie to yourself. And in order for other people to think you're better than you are, you've got to lie to yourself and other people. It's just one of those things. You know, people that are really full of pride are usually chronic liars because they have to keep lying to keep the pretense up. And what we see here is God doesn't get deceived and God allows his spiritual leaders to be able to enunciate his will and God does his work here. And yes, in this passage, it ends with two people that are struck dead at the front of the church and carried out to be buried. You say, That probably scared a lot of people. Well, yeah. 
There is nothing that purges a church like that. (laughs) Okay. But don't miss this. It needed to be dealt with. Hear me out and we'll be done in just a few moments. Look at verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in one porch. And I believe that the rest of Acts chapter 5 would have never happened if the first part of chapter 5 wasn't dealt with. Because God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. We talk about a church being spiritually thwarted because of pride and self-glory. But you as a person, you in your own life spiritual, your spiritual journey can be halted by pride. It's one of those things that we need to deal with to see God use us. We need to deal with to see God go forward in our own lives and we cannot be serving God, and we cannot do the mission work of this church, and we cannot do the things that we need to do to reach people if we're going to do it in pride and self-glory. But we can do it if we instead serve out of love and humility. And if you want to know how we get our church to really double and triple our missions Um, you say, output, it's going to be through doubling our love for God and people and doubling our humility to operate in. And those two together can really help God get the glory. Notice how I didn't say those two together can help Meriden Hills get the glory. Forget about that. We want God to get the glory. Otherwise, we're doing it for nothing. Lord, thank you for this passage in your word. We pray that you work in the hearts of your people this morning. And if there's anybody here that is operating in self-glory and conceit and deceit, may you help them to see that you see right through it. And it really does nothing more than thwart the progress and the blessing that you'd want to give in their life. Lord, I pray that you'd help us Help us, I pray, to get rid of this self-glory and pride in our lives. As a church, in our own personal lives, may we make the decision right now. Search me, O God. If there's any pride, would you help me to address it and forsake it? If there's any desire for me to worship myself, help me to forsake it and just truly worship you and forget about me. Help us to pray that prayer. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed as the instrument plays, we'll give you a few moments. Heads are bowed.